Hi, I'm Brian Lay. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Fisher. And this is the Diversify Our Narrative podcast. Warm-up question. Have you seen The Batman? I have. This is like the first movie that you've asked me about that I've like oh, actually seen. I, I love have. The Batman. I also really enjoyed it. And I'm not one that like really has been into superhero movies ever in the past, mm-hmm. but I really liked it. Um, I went with my friend who is definitely into she had already seen it. And so she gave me all the context, which only made it better. Yeah. Um, but I really liked it. Yeah. I've seen I've seen it in theaters three times. I've seen it on my couch through HBO twice and it just came out wow. on HBO Monday. So yeah. I love this movie. Wow, what what about it makes it five times worth watching for you? I mean, I plan to watch it every day this week. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's just a masterpiece. Like there is not a part that I could say is a weak point. The cinematography, amazing. The score, yeah, amazing. Sure. The acting, amazing. The script, amazing. The the costume design, amazing. The lighting design, amazing. The sound design, amazing. Like, you know, I could go on and on about how perfect the movie is, especially as a Batman fan. Yeah. The one scene where there's like the upside down picture of him walking. Do you mm-hmm, know what I mean? Mm-hmm. With the flames and everything. I'm like remembering that now. Yeah. Everyone was like, holy shit in the theater. I saw it in a theater where they like serve food during. I've like been doing this. I've been to two movies now. I saw Drive My Car. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen that mm-hmm. one. And those are both like three hour films. And I feel like that's like, I don't know. Like it's it's sometimes it takes a lot for me to like sit through a movie. So like having the food during it was also like part of the experience. And they had like themed drinks and like food for the Batman mm-hmm. movie. It was very fun. I really think it it used every minute. So it felt so short to me, even though it was three hours. Yeah, it didn't feel super long. And I'm like chalking that up to the fact that I was like eating food <laughs> during it. But it really was like it was really not like it didn't feel like super, super long. Whereas Drive My Car felt like kind of long I still liked Mm -hmm. it but it definitely was like okay this is like a it's like you're reading a book or something um yeah yeah my favorite shot in the movie this is my last thing about the Batman my favorite shot in the movie (laughs) is um it's at the end where he's in the water with the with the smoke stick yeah that that was beautiful yeah I I might just leave this in the episode go see go see the Batman (laughs) (laughs) that'd be funny like that we do a warm-up question every time Okay. Cool. So this episode um, is a little different than our other episodes in that we don't really have a script and we don't have a topic because it's our last episode. And so we're just going to do a like a rerun kind of episode with flashbacks and, uh, you know, all the classic ending culmination things. Yeah, this is like our grand finale and a summation of everything that we've been talking about over the last year, as well as just a reflection of what this podcast has not necessarily meant to us. I guess that's one way to put Mm -hmm. it, but like has taught us. I definitely have learned so much in doing the research for these episodes, and it's given me a way grander, broader perspective of what education means for our country and culture and society at large. So yeah, excited. Yeah, I mean, it really is like a huge industrial complex with like so many different gears and moving factors and like 
like interested parties or like stakeholders it's it, it was a lot this past uh this past year it's been like this is gonna come out a year from our first episode yeah so many stakeholders i think like also thinking about the fact that education gets used almost like as a tool mm -hmm. in politics a lot of time it's something that a lot of people run on it's something that a lot of our political debates um involve or revolve around and i think something that is oftentimes missed is like a lot of the things that we have talked about in our episodes whether it be about like teacher pay or i don't know like what happens with like college admissions yeah. and the money that's into it so like getting into like the things that you don't necessarily hear about like in the news that aren't like taglines or just like big words that you hear about often has been really interesting yeah well why don't we go to our first question of uh, what was your favorite episode or topic that we did? Um, I really loved the December episode that we did about college admissions. I mm. probably had the most fun researching for that episode because it was like the college admission scandal, which watching yeah. that Netflix documentary was was didn't feel like research. Not that mm -hmm. I have a problem with research, but I was like blown away by watching that. Um, and I also really loved hearing from Lupe and Tem regarding admissions at Emory and just kind of what admissions looks like at different schools was super interesting. What about you? Yeah. Um, my favorite was September's episode about the cost of college, the rising costs. You know, as you've learned by now i love the social and economic factors that go into things and i think college tuition is something that's so um just like ever present in our lives as college students and we're um just kind of always thinking about it because i feel like one thing that happens is if you skip class you feel like you're not getting your money's worth which in some cases is like fifty thousand dollars a year or 60 or 70. Um, so I'm always thinking about tuition and I loved learning about that. Totally. I do feel that like even when I like don't do readings and whatnot, I like try to save them for a time that I can do them because I feel like I'm like getting my money's worth, which is mm -hmm. like a kind of a really tainted way to look <laughs> at education like completely. But it is one perspective that I feel like I have in moments. And also like yeah. sometimes I use it to like motivate myself, but not, I would say, a healthy perspective. Yeah, I think what I do is I save all of my readings. And so in my like iCloud folder, I have like, I don't know, maybe like 100 or 200 PDFs of like random readings that were assigned throughout my college career. Just because I like it's like it's kind of costly to get into these databases if you're not a college student. Um, and so I just have those to keep my money's worth. <laughs> Download like the entire Emory library onto yeah. your iCloud. <laughs> Um, yeah, I was just doing that today. I was like moving all my readings that were on my computer into like mm -hmm. a flash drive to make space for like recording this podcast. But it's yeah. yeah. And they're also something that I do go back to and do remember and do often share with like a lot mm -hmm. of friends and family members if there's something that catches my eye. And I'm definitely planning on doing that before graduating this year is saving up all of my readings just because like I'm interested in them. I don't think I think so much about money, but I think about like how much they do mean to me in like yeah. a valuable sense. Yeah. yeah. Going on your thing, I also really liked the college admissions episode. I I really liked our college section of like the show. And I think all though all those episodes were very tangible. But the college admissions one was like it reminded me of where it it reminded me of where I was 
as a senior and thinking like about how these admissions officers are these kind of like um uh mean-spirited deities and they're not you know they're like regular people that um in a lot of cases are really trying to be as like nice and equitable as possible and um you know schools like emory are having programs to diversify their student body and being really intentional about it so i really i really like that episode yeah totally i think ultimately like a lot of times admission officers like want to help you and if they had a good experience at the college that they went to um they want other people to have that experience as well but what was something that you were most excited to research for one of these episodes Ooh, um i mean i really liked is, was that our first episode, the textbook industry one? I feel like maybe that was our second. We did Common Core and then textbooks, okay. yeah. Oh, yeah. That was definitely a big one um, because I always knew Texas was super important and I just didn't realize like how much power this tiny group of people in Texas had. Um, and just like how some states even like shape like a whole region's worth of education. Totally. I remember doing the textbook episode and like just didn't even make sense to me, to be honest, like how, (laughs) yeah, like how like a lobbyist and like how people lobby around textbooks as well. So that's Mm -hmm. really interesting. That's something that I absolutely knew nothing about before researching, like hadn't even like thought twice about what goes on behind textbooks. I was lucky enough to have like a, course in high school talk about like textbook publishers and like the industrial mindset that they have so I really yeah that was a big one for me what court what class in high school was that it was you know in summer I took uh college uh it was like at my community college and it was about U.S. history and so the I think the book was Howard Zinn's A People's History yeah yeah, I I was most excited to search for something that like to do research for something that I did know a little bit about, but I kind of knew that there was a mm-hmm. lot more behind the topic than is usually talked about in like mainstream discourse, which is the school to prison pipeline episode that we did in February. And I feel like the pipeline terminology has been become part of more mainstream conversations about race and education Mm -hmm. and criminal justice. But I don't like, at least I really didn't have like a total understanding of like what that totally means, like what the pipeline, how it works, if a pipeline is like a true metaphor for what's happening. So doing research for that episode, I was looking forward to just learning more. And I definitely did learn a lot more about the Gun-Free School Act and then suspension and expulsion rates and how really students are both pushed out of school and then absorbed into the justice system and the two, Mm -hmm. the kind of connecting dots of this pipeline. I was also really interested in how like schools can and often are spaces of enclosures, especially for students of color in which police presence are just always around and amongst campuses. Yeah. Did you have police at your school? I forget if we talked about that. Yeah. I mean, we had one or two officers and I don't remember if they were like always there every single day, but like would be there relatively often and you would see them. I don't remember them doing much like really ever at all, but I also like didn't pay a ton of attention my school was really big Mm -hmm. about like four thousand kids so like having one to two it kind of gets like lost in it and i wouldn't say like our school was like heavenly heavily policed at all 
Um, but I do know in talking to people and experiences in New York City um, and in other schools, um, police are everywhere. And there's a lot of schools in yeah. New York City have like security, what's it called? Like gates that you have to walk, metal detectors, that's the word, um, mm -hmm. that you have to walk through. And that's kind of like a, this iteration of the gun-free school act that we talked about, about like not wanting weapons on school. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I had... Um a good amount of police officers it wasn't like a huge amount because our school was also pretty big but they had their own office and there were like a rotating amount of like two per day i don't know how many the total was but they were sort of there um making sure we weren't like like where i interacted with them the most was like when i was leaving school early because i was skipping class and they'd be like patrolling the parking lot and I would like slowly creep behind a car to make sure they don't see me so I can go get some Chipotle during <laughs> class. Yeah, I would definitely say there was like a rotating number. I don't remember like the school police officers, but they would rotate and yeah. like similarly drive around the premise of the school. Um, yeah. Did you, you know, I, in college, I feel like I've gotten so much more exposure and like just genuine interest in the justice system and like the law um and i also really like that episode but like do you feel like it's a part of your college experience to really hammer in the law hammer in the law <laughs> um <laughs> i i like do you mean like learn more about it in classes than i would have before yeah and just like how it sort of shows up in a bunch of different classes yeah i do think so i mean I'm, I'm not taking like law classes with the intention of becoming a lawyer i have taken them but i do think the justice system and also just like learning a lot about mass incarceration incarceration which wasn't part of my schooling prior to whatsoever um mm -hmm. has been something that's been a part of my college experience but also i think living in new york we don't I don't have like police officers on campus, but there's the NYPD all over the city at all oh, times. Yeah. So just like having that awareness too and kind of just their ever presence everywhere is something that you can't ignore and also something that comes into conversations all the time, especially within the last three years, but just as something like that's a part of like a daily experience that certainly enters classroom conversations. Um, what has your yeah. experience been in learning more about the justice system? Similar or? Yeah, pretty similar. I mean, I took, right now I'm in a sociology of law class. And so it's like um, the unit we're on right now is the training and profession of lawyers. And then two weeks ago was about police. And this whole time it's been about reexamining the legal system. And that was inspired by my class I took last semester, which was, um, it was called, it's called like legal environment of business, but really it was like a crash course in your first year of law school as like, as seen through the lens, not even as seen through the lens, literally just like a crash course of like a 1L. And um, ever since then, I mean, it, I just, I'm so much more invested in it. And like, I love, uh, I don't know, like, contracts i feel like are super interesting now and like what constitutes a contract and um all types of property things because it's everywhere so yeah i i think i guess everyone sort of gets more involved with the law because of college um whether it's like through advocacy or just like general uh exposure but i think 
me especially and especially like doing this show it's really been uh like an integral part of like me developing as a human yeah that's that's really interesting that's a super interesting perspective i feel like i don't think of it so much in that way because i haven't been taking courses that like focus so much on um law but or like the justice system um but you mentioning that it comes up everywhere that's certainly certainly true and like the way that mm-hmm. we've I always like appreciate when you like bring it into conversations about education because it certainly shows up like all over education. I think the two intersect like all yeah. of the time and also, yeah, approaching anything from like the perspective or just even like the vantage point of just the justice system is super informative mm-hmm. the same way like approaching something through the lens of like the economics of it is also super informative. So, yeah, I think going to yeah. college like you get all these different lenses on how to view different things and there's no shortage of them you could say the same thing about like I mentioned like the economics of something or even just the historical roots of anything from Mm -hmm. a colonial or like a racialized perspective um they all come into play yeah yeah okay so next question is what are your top three takeaways from this series Top three, I think I think one of the biggest takeaways have been this is like been true for textbooks to SAT testing and standardized text testing to educational movements that we've mentioned in past episodes like Common Core, No Child Left Behind is this kind of like streamlining that happens so often in the education system mm. where things are streamlined to the point where curriculum becomes like very much similar across states, across places that don't have so much in common or in which students, I mean, No Child Left Behind, kind of the whole ethos around that is like kind of streamlining education and this like approach that doesn't apply to all classrooms, all schools, and certainly not to all students. It's something we talked about in our educational equity episode, which I think was like our third episode in which every student's coming from a different place. But I think it's been really interesting to to me to see how much like this theme comes up again and again. And it is because like you mentioned at the beginning of the episode, just like the education system is an industrial complex like things are really Mm -hmm. I mean it's such a massive institution in our country that there has to be some vast measures taken in order to make it like cohesive in some way but the way that that backfires so much or at least like makes things really challenging for both individuals and for the system at large is has been really interesting and something that I've like kept my eye on throughout all the episodes yeah I feel that because like especially now with all these like resources available for students and like the internet and everyone learning at different places and different paces with different interests it's like what is the role of a teacher and with the teacher shortage like is it a necessity to streamline aspects of education like these are all just huge implications of where we are in the world technology wise Definitely. And I also think like a lot of that streamlining like has implications on like, well, it definitely does about like what's taught in classrooms and the difficulties of like incorporating diverse curriculum, which is a lot of what Dawn pushes for. 
Um, and that's oftentimes challenging because of either these standards that need to be met or just the fact that there's like brush strokes over what is being taught, whether it be mm-hmm. at a school or a district or like within the school system, county, statewide, countrywide at large. Um, but I think that there's also like certainly arguments to be made against like there's definitely arguments to be made against like the dangers of like privatizing education and making education like a choice-based thing like there I think these are conversations that are important and there's like a middle ground to find between having like an individual experience with education but also being a part of something that's like greater and a public service that needs to be streamlined in some fashion yeah one of my takeaways uh is and this is like sort of related is like, you know, that statistic where the U.S. spends more per student or more per pupil than like a bunch of European countries, but has worse academic achievement. Like, I totally get that now because we throw so much money at things and it's like sometimes well-intended, sometimes not well-intended. Um, and it just it, it never works. And it's like there's so many fundamental issues about it. And it's like it's going into very interesting places like standardized testing or like policing children or um, taking it out of like teachers pay. And I don't, there's just, you know, money is going everywhere, but not in the right places. Yeah. I do think that that totally like couples with the point that I was just making, like the shifts in terms of like, in terms of you know from no child left behind to common core like the amount Mm -hmm. of money that has to be invested to like get teachers on board get the curriculum to change like is so much Mm -hmm. but it's like the shift in how we're teaching students in like this broad scope way so it's like those investments too and it's it's also like as a student like we live through those shifts too and other shifts within education like it feels very much like guinea piggy as a kid and it's like okay, but what is the, where is the generation of students that are going to like benefit from these like trying things out measures of, it's just, and it's Mm -hmm. a lot of money wasted too. Yeah. Um, Do you have another? Another takeaway. There is lots. I think another one that in terms of our, our college episodes that we discussed from like the cost of college to college sports to college admissions, the hypocrisies in higher education I mean, this Mm. is not just something that's from the research that we've been doing. It's also something that comes up in my classes a lot and just from attending a university is the amount of money involved. And also we talked about like real estate grabs and the fact that colleges are often involved in gentrification of spaces and cities Um, and then Mm -hmm. also underpay a lot of their workers such as like janitorial staff or cafeteria workers or adjuncts who really keep the college together but there's like a hierarchy Mm -hmm. of presidents and deans who get paid a lot more money and I think going to a school that's incredibly like liberal and leftist and like has progressive students and progressive education but also is like those things are foundational to it too it just makes me I mean I think it's hard to grapple with and it's something that's come up in these episodes and also in my own educational experience and in classes that I've taken um, and I think recognizing those hypocrisies has been kind of just important and being honest with yourself and being truthful about like what's mm-hmm. going on here and kind of that you can't escape those even in spaces that say that they are one thing but might be totally different. Yeah, definitely. I mean, between like the 
presidents and board members and uh, even like sports coaches getting paid like millions of dollars a year. And then like you have the the on tenure track lecturer that's like barely getting by on fifty thousand dollars while also like or sometimes like thirty thousand and then like writing two books to be on tenure and teaching like three classes. It's it's crazy. Like the range of salaries. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Do you have a do you have another takeaway? I'm interested. Um, you know, this this is like sort of what we talked about earlier, but I think education is just such an easy target for people to use in their political battles because um, like abortions, it's like a crowd that you can speak on behalf of um, because they're minors and they can't necessarily make decisions for themselves, quote unquote. And so it's so easy to use that as like your battleground. And that's just like so exploitative and um, extractive and manipulative. And it's, you know, um, it's not cool. When you say in the same way as abortions, you're talking about like children and then like an unborn child, I suppose. Yeah, yeah I actually haven't thought of that comparison, but I do think that kids are used in political conversations and like for the children has like a trope that's always kind of been used throughout politics mm -hmm. for whatever it may be. And it's like, okay, like what, who, Yeah. what did the children have to say about this? I don't know. But it's also yeah. not being a parent. I feel a little weird making these arguments because I do know that I'm coming from a place of only ever being that child. But I think it's mm -hmm. really disheartening to see educational movements becoming, and this was definitely like my third takeaway, I would say, is just like, Mm -hmm. becoming so politicized but also missing so many points about what's going on in classrooms especially along the lines of the p pandemic and like for example like mask mandates or like critical race theory which mm -hmm. we haven't touched on so much in these episodes but I'm almost like glad because it feels like it's been <laughs> it just feels like it's 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 I mean, I think that there is a way we could have done an episode that really gets to the roots of things. But I feel like it's such a term that's like kind of almost like washes everything else out. It's like, well, let's talk about the mm -hmm. fact that kids are going to be falling like so far behind due to like online learning and all these things where I feel like that's that's yeah. a lot of the times lost. And um, it's disappointing. But yeah. Yeah. Did you say how do you have another another third takeaway? I think I got through all mine. Yeah, I think I'm good. Um, but I do have a question, which is um, what's something you're like thankful for about your schooling experience? Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about my public schooling experience. The high school that I went to, I, was, I had a lot of extracurricular opportunities available whether it be like sports or music, drama, band, clubs, AP, IB courses. And they were all resourced and they were all well supported. I also went to a school that had like insane school spirit. Like we were some like Big Ten college mm. or something, which sometimes could be super annoying and obnoxious and other times could be is like very communal and I'll always kind of have those yeah. memories and remember that. So I am like very grateful for those opportunities. And I think at the time, when I was at that school, just because I was like so in it, I like didn't I really took it for granted. And I think stepping back even just a little bit, even in going to college elsewhere and meeting people from different backgrounds, but also in doing this research, like there are 
so like I went to an incredibly special school and it had to do with the community that I lived in, which was upper middle class and predominantly white and quite privileged, even though it's also relatively diverse and increasingly so. But that's just not the reality for a lot of people's educations. And I feel like if I knew that as well as if that was more something that was talked about more on campus, a lot more people would be grateful for the opportunities we had rather than more aloof and entitled and I think Mm -hmm. also could have geared more of the clubs and school education towards social justice if that was something that we kind of decided to incorporate more but it's it's it was lost a lot of times but I think Mm -hmm. looking back I am really grateful for those extracurricular opportunities um that were available at my school and like aren't in a lot of other places. Yeah. What about you looking back on your experience? What are some things that you're appreciative of? Yeah, I mean, I'm super thankful for like my history and science courses, uh, which is interesting coming from someone raised in Texas. But I think it's like, it's not that they were amazingly progressive, but that especially in Texas and in learning about the conservative states where education has been affected, like, I feel like I have a decent understanding of the world. Um, You know, I have a friend from Massachusetts who never really had like a history course about anything before like England, you know, like the European like dark ages, which is crazy to me because I always think like, oh, Massachusetts, like, you know, liberal state. Um, And like my science classes didn't undermine evolution or insert something about creationism and so like i i think that was you know it could have gone a lot worse um and also because i went to a magnet school and maybe that's that's why um i had so much good funding for the arts like our theater program had money thrown at it and we had a good amount of like instruments for most students to rent um, directly from the school and it was like just a just like a good time um compared to all the things that we've been we've been learning about like all the worst case scenarios we've learned about yeah definitely arts funding is something that i think is another takeaway i think too when our like stem arts episode in which like is mm-hmm. s- super lacking in a lot of different places um yeah i also think like in talking to you in being from Texas and being from California when you say like, I don't know, I just think, I think a lot of times California and I'm just talking about like personal experience gets this like broad stroke. And I think a lot of states do of being mm-hmm. one type of way, like a blue state, it's all mm-hmm. liberal or like a red state, it's all. And I think like California and Texas are like two glaring examples of kind of like stereotypes yeah. about that, but also like such diverse, I mean, these two states are massive and there's such diverse communities Mm -hmm. within them. And I certainly came from like a relatively, no, like a very conservative community. There was certainly people who were progressive, but they were not outspoken. But absolutely the culture that was um, emphasized within my school. And I think like when we think of what education looks like in different states, it looks very different throughout Mm -hmm. the state. And it's like something that's important to keep in mind because like while the state may be making headways in education in some ways there are certainly districts that are super resistant to that um schools that are super resistant to that so it's not it's never like one state is doing one thing uh, especially within like bigger states like texas and california 
Yeah. I mean, that sort of harkens back to like federal government gets a lot of show. A lot of people say state government's more important. And then if you go even beyond that, I think you just prove that like local politics and like the power of individuals sort of have even more power in like changing someone's life, like an individual's entire learning experience can depend just on like what's around you locally and not necessarily what's like in your state. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think that's something that we've we've seen with these arguments around critical race theory and like the local community, I don't know, meetings that have been had and then mm-hmm. like the recordings from those and those things are definitely happening on like a really local scale, not to say that federal and state policies are not being brought into them and is not what's being pushed back on but it's like those things are happening on a local scale and local politics do really affect everyone's experience especially in education yeah so related to all this like is there something you would change with regards to your schooling experience yeah i mean i think just going back to what i was saying um the neighbor the community the town that i'm from or even the area in california is pretty conservative and a lot of evangelical christian people live within the school and the politics at my school were highly problematic um i didn't Mm -hmm. identify with a lot of the beliefs that were really outspoken on campus but i think that a lot of times i would keep my beliefs to myself or just talk to them amongst my friends who i knew had similar and that now looking back and like having get, gotten more involved in in dawn and in social justice and in other areas i am disappointed in that and i think that a lot of students who feel the same way who like had those beliefs in, in high school and didn't speak up for themselves or for other people who like didn't speak up for themselves either um regret that as well i wish that the culture was different um beyond like my own actions i wish that there is a different culture, but I think ultimately and a lot of times what teachers will say about like not teaching on issues of race or like not teaching on issues of climate change is that like there are parents, predominantly white parents, who would get really upset and like had a stronghold on the school and the culture and the community there, which I think we're seeing mm-hmm. at large, too. So um, that's something that like reflecting on was certainly something that was happening at my high school and I feel like is like kind of a microcosm of what's happening across the country. I also just wish we were taught more about like place-based histories, but I think that's all part of it, like to really reflect on the history of the area of California, the native reservations that the land that we were on Mm -hmm. would be to reckon with all those things that like my school was not comfortable with reckoning with. So Those are some things um, among others. But what about you? Yeah, I think um, I would have changed something about like how I personally interact with people. Like I think my school is pretty segregated between, you know, AP students and non-AP students, which had a lot of like racial implications. And um, yeah, I just would have talked to different people because I think that really got to a lot of the students at my school. And then as like a non-personal thing, I think we should have talked about um, just like different career paths because my school really pushed down um, college for down, down like everyone's throat because college was because we had so many people not going to college. And I think their solution was, well, let's just show how many colleges are out there and how cool they are. Never mind the fact that like, a lot of people could get really good careers going to like 
a trade school or, um, you know, there's alternative paths for people that don't necessarily like the classroom setting. And I don't know, I think they, that method really did a disservice for um, a lot of students. And I think they're just, you know, my brother's still at that high school and I feel like they're just going 110% still on that because they offer a lot of career technology courses. They're called CTE courses. And it's like you can take a class in architecture design or um, business administration or hospital administration or um, uh, counseling, like um, mental health counseling. And it's like they're really cool options for high schoolers, but also like you're it, it's making college seem like the only option in terms of careers. And I feel like that's very problematic as we're seeing right now in a housing crisis. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And as we talked a lot about in the episode about the different options available in alternative routes to college. But when you say mm-hmm. those those classes that are being offered at your high school now, are you saying like it implies that college is like the only route because those are professions in which you need a college degree. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It like legitimizes certain professions over other professions, yeah. which creates all types of hierarchical problems. Yeah. And I definitely see a way in which those classes could be offered because they sound great and they sound like something that students could be really interested in and want to study in college while also offering and encouraging other options as well. Yeah. Like it doesn't have to be one or the other. College is still going to be there. Yeah, like literally. it doesn't have to be. Um, black or white like it doesn't have to be all or nothing yeah cool well let's take a step back you know we're graduating seniors in college uh leaving into the real world what are some pieces of advice that we have for high school and even college students Yeah, um, I feel like a little nervous to say these things because (laughs) I'll be like super honest, like I'm kind of scared to graduate. I don't Mm -hmm. totally know what the future has in store. So to like act like I know what I'm doing or that I have like any sense of the world going out of college, I do not. Disclaimer. Um, But I also like feel like to expect to have that mindset of like, I know what I'm doing. Like when you are about to graduate from college is kind of unrealistic and a big Mm -hmm. ask um so I think number one like that doesn't have to be your end goal I think going into college with like I want to explore and learn as much as I possibly can and learn more about myself and learn more about the world and learn more about the people around me is a healthier or just like is a mentality that I would I would encourage going into college with because you don't know what's going to happen over the four years. I didn't know when I was going into college, there was going to be a world pandemic. Like I had no idea. Um, So, or you don't know what's going to happen on a personal level. So I think step by step checking in with yourself about what you're interested in and where you see your interest going and making choices accordingly. And so if you're a high school student going into college, there's no way that you're going to know like what kind of degree you're going to want to have in four years or what job Mm -hmm. you're going to want to have or is available to you. Um, But you might have some sense of what you're interested in now. And I would say pursue that and learn through the lens of that until that doesn't serve you anymore. And it might serve you for the rest of your life and it might stop serving you after your first class in that subject and you can change your mind. 
That's such good advice because, you know, when I was going into college, my advisor gave me, he told me, he was very old and he's retiring now. So um, shout out to Timothy Albrecht. But he was like, uh, ask yourself like who you want to be as a person, not like what you want to study. And like that really sort of shifted how I viewed my classes because it was like, oh, like I want to be like a kind, generous person, maybe a change maker. And then from there, I was like selecting classes across a bunch of different fields in like, you know, business, music, anthropology, sociology. And I think I really found my niche in the business school, which I wasn't really expecting. And so really figure out like who who you want to be with like character traits, not necessarily like a profession or a major. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I like that advice too. I feel like some people would have taken it a different way and would have been like, well, I want to be like rich and I want to yeah. like study these <laughs> things to get there, which like that's fine too if you want to do that. But um, no, I, I think I didn't necessarily like take that approach, but I think I really just was like, that sounds interesting. I mean, I'm really lucky to go to the new school it has like amazing class options that just are, I'm always like upset that I can't take more classes in one mm -hmm. semester. Um, and yeah, just following what sounds interesting to me. And sometimes it's been not great. Sometimes I've had classes where I'm like, I regret taking this. And other times I've had classes where like blew my expectations and opened mm. up so many new worlds for me. Um, I'm in a class called experimental fashion from the 1980s to the present, like this that's year. So cool. Um, and I, knew I thought it was going to be cool like that's why I took it but I I've learned so much like about so many different like feminist theory queer theory disabilities theory just through the lens of experimental fashion which I wasn't really expecting and mm -hmm. um yeah I mean just examples like that trying things that are like outside of not yeah your comfort zone but not even comfort zone just like interest interest yeah, um literally. or it's definitely a a tip or like a piece yeah. of advice that has served me yeah because looking back like I don't know how I thought that high school me knew what I wanted to do with my life when like I don't even recognize that person anymore so like if you feel passionate about something definitely check it out but don't feel limited to that which I think is the big thing because people often feel like it's such a sunk cost because they spent their whole high school career doing like math and science decathlons but it's like chill out like figure out you know explore the world <laughs> no chill out seriously <laughs> that's I think that's good advice for students in general um at least for me I think I chill out I need to take into account more often I also would just say like another thing going on with like I don't know if I'm the best a person to give advice because like I did get a journalism degree and I'm still like I don't really know if I love the idea of journalism in <laughs> mm -hmm. general and I'm like struggling with that honestly right now but also knowing that I've learned so much even in my journalism classes like through the lens of journalism and about the media and about like how news and technology works and mm -hmm. that all feels like incredibly informative and important to me so even if I don't do anything with my degree which I very well could but even if I don't all of that information is something that like I wouldn't trade and I don't know yeah. what else I would have done an alternative. So yeah, I mean, I also think like giving yourself a break if you feel like, wow, this isn't serving me. Like it is in a way that maybe you don't know 
yeah. now. Um, yeah. And there's always opportunities to change, even if that's like after you graduate with a degree that you might not use. Definitely. On a different note, um, I think a big thing, a piece of advice is just like really think critically about all the things that you consume, whether that be media like you were talking about or lesson plans, um, even if it's like, I mean, especially if it's, you know, liberal, conservative, leftist, like if there is a political stance, no matter what it is, I think you should be thinking critically because it's so easy to be a part of, you know, an echo chamber and the reality is a lot more gray and like I think it's easy to fall into a especially if you're listening to this kind of show like it's easy to fall into a super leftist I hate everything everything sucks kind of way but like the world is full of change makers the world is full of people thinking like you even if you know it doesn't feel like it and so everyone's just trying their best and give people grace and kind of walk through life knowing that things are always changing and everyone's doing their best and um you know it's 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 just really great and did you do you watch um hank green no <laughs> what is it called okay. so hank green oh, made okay. a video called uh like the sad gap and it just came out recently and it was it's such a cute little video about like if you don't know enough about something, it can feel really hopeless. And when you learn even more about it, you start to get a lot more hope because things are really complicated. And I think that's something that's really useful to keep in mind as you navigate, um, you know, equity, racial equity, social equity, whatever. It's like things sound, things may seem like it really sucks and it kind of does, but there's also a lot of good happening. And so you just got to have hope. Yeah, I'm going to link that in the show notes and definitely <laughs> watch it. I think along with your note about media consumption and um, having hope, I think for me, something that is important and something that I certainly have taken away from studying journalism and media is that getting out of these echo chambers that are not only not only do we kind of find ourselves in them in society in general like we are all in them we can't escape them um, whether it being like you're in a student you're in like the echo chamber of your school or your family or your friend group but also especially on social media and those echo chambers are only becoming like more intense more echoey or whatever you want to call it um i think i mean sure you could like follow accounts that you disagree with to get different perspectives. I think that's usually where people's mind goes in terms of diversifying things. But really, mm -hmm. I think for me, it's really important to like unplug from social media and from mm -hmm. like those echo chambers and engage with different books, different people, like really engage with like the physical world and get involved with things in that way. I think that's really a way to step into what we would call like an echo chamber and like disrupt it or at least open it up to bigger opportunities rather than rather than um you know following new accounts or unfollowing old accounts I think that's usually people's like first thought but something that gives me hope a lot of times is really just interacting with people or being in situations that I wouldn't have otherwise and learning so much from those experiences more so than I could ever 
scrolling but i also feel <laughs> it's also keep following dawn like, keep <laughs> following diverse, because certainly there is so much to learn from like the social media and that's definitely how movements get going and fester and hold power to account but also being mindful of the way that that can also deter movements and deter things from actually happening in the real world yeah get outside <laughs> totally get off your phone yeah <laughs> um so like just to conclude brian i'm interested in after thinking over all these things for the past year some ideas that you have big or small um that we can make changes in our education system and how we can do that yeah um why don't we do let's do small ideas first. okay my small idea is uh if you're a teacher or even if you're a student trying to propose this to a teacher, um, incorporate restorative practices in your classroom. I feel like that's super easy. It's just a lot of like expectation setting um, and making people feel like they belong and they're loved and you know, easier said than done, but also, also very easy to do. Um, and in this world more than ever, I think we need just like stronger, more compassionate communities that start at a young age and really check in on each other and make um, consequences productive. So yeah, that's a small, very practical idea you can do. Yeah, and it can definitely be like one action at a time. Like it can be from just even like treating one person with like more compassion mm -hmm. one time and that grow and transform and like it will always be evolving i think that's a key part of like restorative justice is it's something that's like always evolving and like never yeah. kind of stagnant my small idea would be very simple and something that dawn advocates for if not is like the foundation of dawn is getting diverse curriculum and books even just books into classrooms and having them be taught um there are so many resources on the diversifier narrative website that shows ways in which books that speak on race and are by authors of color do meet standards that we've talked about that are brush strokes across the education system and i think mm -hmm. that this is one way to foster education or foster these conversations in educational spaces in a way that they have not been historically and i do think that this would incite a lot of change within classrooms but also like change makers in general inspire i wish that i would have read a lot of the books that dawn proposes um to be read so that's yeah. my small idea yeah um for a bit bigger of an idea i think we should eliminate test scores from the college application process and you know there's a lot of reasons you can check that episode out again um but really it it just it doesn't reflect people's college readiness and it's also a super classes thing because test scores are more correlated with money than it is anything else um and yeah i it's it's already happening now so it's not like super big of an idea i just think if it was like formally stated for all universities, like no more standardized test scores. It would do a lot of good and sort of change how we evaluate students to be, um, you know, also more compassionate, but also like more holistic because these scores don't really show anything. Yeah. 
I have one more thing to add to that idea, which is a little bit side of the point, but end legacy admissions for mm-hmm. real. Like those need to go. Those needed to be gone yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's a big idea that doesn't seem like unrealistic whatsoever. Um, I would say a bigger idea that I have, which also seems like kind of it needs to happen. It's not a matter of like this should happen. It needs to happen as teachers need to be compensated more for the work that they do, as well as university adjuncts that don't get paid very much and are constantly in labor and union struggles with the universities that they work work at. And I think that's also true for janitorial staff and cafeteria workers that are like the backbone of a lot of universities. So mm-hmm. pay people more for the labor that they're doing. Um, and when austerity measures are put into place, they should not be put into place for the most vulnerable people, even though they usually are. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big one. And like pay is sort of everything. And I think like now that we're seeing um, unionization get, you know, a second wave like I feel like it'll it'll happen sooner than later I have hope I love to hear that you have hope (laughs) Brian you having hope gives me hope Um, what is a revolutionary idea of yours yeah good question I think we can completely equalize the power between student and teacher Um, it doesn't have to be for every class like math or science which are inherently like you don't know what you don't know. Um, But for things like English and history and other um, more liberal arts courses in high school, middle school, elementary school, um, that don't even, like they kind of have standardized learning objectives, but also you could get that in such a way where it promotes a student's curiosity and critical thinking skills like we talked about. yeah, I just think students would have such a more fun way of learning that way. And I think I specifically learn that way. Um, and the Socratic style is not executed well all the time. But if it was, it would be great. Yeah, I think I also like always hear teachers say like, I'm a teacher because I learn so much from my students. Like it keeps me young, you know, and I think like, it's empowering as a student to hear that because it's true. I think whenever I work with kids, I think I learn so much from them, even from like being models of curiosity. Mm-hmm. And so to like even have that relationship that feels like it's going both ways rather than like I'm telling you, um, which is like what a lot of teachers will say, but then it's not necessarily like enacted in that way just because we're not used to it. I think that would just change so many dynamics within the classroom too and also be a lot yeah easier to implement a lot of like the restorative justice practices that we talk about or just have a different culture at the school at large. So I love that idea and I second it and I really learned a lot from our conversation around like bell hooks and teaching to transgress that we talked about last Mm -hmm. episode. Um, My radical idea that I've actually been hearing a lot about lately too is whether or not student debt's going to be canceled because it was like on pause and that pause was extended throughout the pandemic and I think it should just be canceled and I know that there are like economic um there is economic implications for that but I think canceling student debt but also more than that like reducing the price of colleges especially public institutions 
needs mm-hmm. to happen. It drives inequities um, and it keeps people beholden to debt after receiving their college education. And it keeps people thinking while in college, like I have to do every single thing because I'm spending so much money on this, which isn't the motivating factor that I think is like fruitful for education. Yeah. Um, but more than anything, I think it just drives always has historically like inequities and it's going to continue to make the wealth gap what it is or if not exasperate it so i am that's my revolutionary idea that i'm landing on is uh reducing college tuition that's a good one because some i feel like that's a you know not to be um so businessy and like cynical about it but like i feel like there's a huge marketing opportunity to be like hey, we're a university, we're not increasing our prices this year. While everyone else is increasing 7%, we're staying the same and we're going to continue to stay the same for like X amount of years. I feel like that says a lot about your school. Like, And obviously like reducing cost is better. But like, as we talked about in that episode, like the fact that prices are rising so much higher than inflation, it's like insane how how much it skyrockets because everything's exponential so like obviously by the time you get to 10 years later it's up tens of thousands of dollars so yeah stop increasing the price of college right and we talked about some ways to do that in the september episode which like talked about tuition elasticity or Mm -hmm. just like even like the guarantee of student jobs from colleges Mm -hmm. um because that's another thing is the fact that you're paying so much money and then there's a lot of majors in which you are not able to find a job in your field. Um, so even though those aren't like solutions that I would like propose, like having them in the realm of conversations. And like, I feel like we almost just accept that college is this expensive. And it because yeah. we do, because we do, because it's like you have to go to college to get a degree for the job you want. But it's just ludicrous like the amount of money that it is at this point and it's come up in so many conversations about like standardized testing and like scandals to get into colleges and Mm -hmm. college sports and all these different controversies a lot of it comes back to how much college tuition costs yeah and then like like you were saying student debt should be canceled and i feel like um you know this is more of a call to action but like this is such a ongoing conversation and it's going to continue to rise in importance in the next like, you know, four-ish, five-ish months. Because when the midterms are up, like by the time it gets to August, which is or September 1st, which is when the current student loan pause is happening, like that's where the Biden administration and all sorts of administration people in his like education uh department like that's where they're going to face the most pressure of canceling student debt and so you should be as listeners of this um calling in and adding to that pressure helping with organizers um you know calling your representatives and letting them know that like this matters because this would this this would help the economy the economy has only recovered so far as much as it has because people are not tied down to their student loan repayment. And as you know, the economy has also not collapsed since we've stopped paying student loans for the past two years. So clearly it's not super needed. I don't know. I feel like it's a very obvious thing to cancel student debt, but yeah. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, I just think like it's definitely something to watch. That's what I meant by like this is coming up a lot lately. It's going to matter drastically to the midterms elections. And if you're someone that's invested in this, which I think if you're a student, if you're a parent, if you're like anyone involved in the education space, which a lot of people are, regardless if you're a listener to this or not, like it's something to keep an eye on and advocate for or at least have a stance on, like become informed and have a stance on it. Yeah. I think that concludes our final episode. I'm going to do a last book segment unless you have any concluding thoughts, Brian. Um, My only concluding thought is I'm very thankful that you were my co-host. Oh, stop. (laughs) Things could have gone very (laughs) sideways with the wrong co-host. And we work well together and it was fun. Oh my goodness, that is so sweet. Me literally having chills right now. <laughs> um, I am also so grateful that you are my co-host, especially Aww. just on top of like creating all the scripting together and just bouncing ideas back and forth. I feel like we always have really interesting conversations. Like I really always look forward to recording with you, mostly because I just look forward to talking with you. Yeah. And then also all the listeners should know that you do all of the editing for these episodes <laughs> and I do not help at all with that. So that's also amazing. But Very you do the citations, that. which is yeah. equally important <laughs> for following up the conversation. I write the captions, guys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but Brian does the editing. For our last book segment, which is a book slash documentary segment, um, I would like to recommend The Sun Rises in the East, which I was introduced in a class, introduced to in a class this semester. Um, the class is about education and race and place, and the documentary is about the East, which is a pan-African cultural organization founded in 1969, Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn. Um, And an an example of a community and community institutions, such as a school that embodies black self-determination. There's also a book called We Are an African People, Independent Education, Black Power and Radical Imagination by Russell Rickford. And it focuses specifically on the education element of black power communities. And it offers like a critical analysis of the fate of black power ideologies in a post-segregation era. And so it looks at Black uh, self-activism as well as local politics and how things can be done on a local level. And I think both are great. And the reason that I recommend them is because both are really an example of how to reimagine what systems can look like while also living in the system that we do. And um, it's both very... They both inform each other. They're about similar things. Um, So I definitely recommend The Sun Rises in the East and then We Are an African People, which will be linked in the show notes. Awesome. All righty. Thank you, everyone, for listening to all these episodes. Good luck with the rest of your semesters, whether you're graduating from high school or college or just getting through another year of school. You hang in there through finals and we're proud of you. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Go see the Batman. (laughs) bye okay bye (laughs) thanks for listening to the podcast you can find us on instagram at diversify our narrative or you can go to diversifyournarrative.com where you can find resources educational content and more special thanks to feel the ambiances for our music and don't forget to rate five stars on apple podcasts or follow us on spotify 